unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm good, Nathan. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic. And I know that you've got another just jam-packed full of useful information episode uh, ready for the podcasters today. So I'm going to quit my rambling and I'm going to hand it over to you. Okay, good. Thanks. So um, I want to take you back about 10 years. I was talking to an old friend of mine. His name was Bob. And he had retired from being a lawyer. And I found out in this conversation I was having with him that when he first got out of law school, like the first day on the job, and he was on the job as the state's attorney, one of the state's attorneys for the state of Pennsylvania, and he ended up first day in court prosecuting the biggest bankruptcy in the history of the United States, which was the Penn Central Railroad bankruptcy. and. That just like blew my mind. I said, well, you know, Bob, what was it like? And he looks at me and says, it was like being in my family's kitchen. Because <laughs> he grew up in a family where they were always arguing and every day was like practice for courtroom, purposely or not. Um, I think about myself and we're going to go back a lot further to 1976 in case anyone was wondering how old I am, this will give you a clue. Um, I was in an internship program as a journalist. This is before I had a paid job in Washington, D.C. And the internship was with my college, which was the University of Michigan. And the president at the time, Gerald Ford, was an alum of the University of Michigan. So the interns got a special meet and greet with the president in the South Lawn of the White House. But we were warned not to do one thing, and that was not to ask any political questions, especially because there was a presidential uh, race going on between Gerald Ford and the Democrat, Jimmy Carter, who was considered to be very religious. And so... You know, we were out there and everybody was talking about the football team and this and that. And I caught the president's attention and I guess I couldn't help myself. I said, Mr. President, can I ask you a political question? And he just shakes his head. And I say, well, how about a religious question? And he'd had about enough of me. He spun and turned away. And so, you know, ha ha, I thought I was such a badass. But if you look at the results, I basically got nothing. And so I was doing what I learned in my family's kitchen. You know, my parents specialized in gotcha questions and in embarrassing you and putting you on the spot. And I was just being a good son, but not such a good interviewer. So what I want to do today is talk about interviewing, especially interviewing skills for copywriters. And I'm not talking about job interviews. I'm not talking about interviewing with a client to, to get hired, you know, uh, for a, a salary job or for a gig. Although you can use some of what we're talking about for that. I'm talking about when you're writing copy 
how to interview people. And I'll, I'll talk a lot more about that. But first, let me say this. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So uh, that's that. And let's let's talk about interviewing, okay? Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait to get into this. Okay, so when you think of interviewing, you may think of 60 minutes or you may think of, you know, the interrogation room in your favorite detective TV show, Law and Order or NCIS or uh, CSI. Uh, that's great TV drama. That's not interviewing. That's not the kind we're going to talk about today. Uh, because interviewing that gets information that you can use in your copy is not an interrogation. It's a conversation. And a good interview, the the kind that gets a person to open up and that gets you the results, the information you need to write more successful copy. It starts with building rapport. Now, in 1999, I know I'm going back in time a lot here, but it's just one of those days. Um, I had really my my second coach. He was not my first coach, but my my first coach was a business coach. This was Stan Russell. He was a um, very interesting guy, just knew all kinds of things I didn't know anything about. And one thing he told me about was rapport. And that was something I needed to learn a lot about. And that was really when my studies began. So that would be 18 years ago. Um, and I've studied a lot. I've learned a lot since then. He told me about a book, which I got, which you can still get. And you have to buy a used copy, but you can find this book on Amazon. It's called The Magic of Rapport by Jerry Richardson. And that helped me a lot. Uh, the skills that I learned from Stan and from that book and continued to learn from a lot of other people and a lot of other situations have really helped me when I'm interviewing clients. And they've also helped me with my coaching and they've also helped me with a cashier who's pissed off at a target who uh, suddenly I can brighten their day in a couple of seconds and maybe, maybe get a better price on something. So, um, or maybe not, but simply have a better experience. So that's, that's one thing, um, you know, interviewing rapport doesn't just come from a, a series of techniques. It comes from having experience, having done it before, having made some mistakes, having learned what works and what doesn't work. It comes from common sense. It comes from skills training in some cases. And it comes from clarity of your purpose in your interview. I mean, Nathan, have you ever uh, started talking to somebody and it seems like it's almost like diarrhea of the questioning. They they just can't stop asking every question under the sun. There's no sequence to it. There's no thought. There's no real 
purpose. There's no direction. They they just want to ask questions. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. And as a podcast host, the everything that you're saying, I'm sitting over here nodding my head yes, because these are things that also translate into podcasting and interviewing people for podcasts. Well, yeah, that makes sense, because what we're really talking about is getting people to open up past the yes, no, and short logical answers. You know, when I was preparing this, I saw a very interesting article on the news site Axios about an article in the Wall Street Journal that said the New York City Special Victims Unit, they don't call it the unit, they call it the unit on TV, they they, they call it um, division. Um, they They have been getting training in something developed by the Army, the U.S. Army, called Forensic Experiential Trauma Interview. The idea is that when someone's been, you know, abused and and they're very traumatized, the traditional police interrogation techniques of asking for where were you, when was happened, what color clothes was he wearing, how tall was he, what race was he, did he have any distinguishing marks on his body, that kind of stuff doesn't work so well because the the front of the brain shuts down to protect the uh, person who was traumatized from pain. And so the the reason I'm telling you about this is the techniques they talk about are would work very well in podcasting, I'm sure, and also work very well when you're interviewing people as a copywriter. And that is you go, quote unquote, behind the front of the brain into the more primitive parts of the brain, and you start asking for more sensory and subjective experiences. You ask questions like, what was it like? How did you feel? What what do you remember about um, the moment when you came up with the idea? Um, How did other people respond to you? What's the one thing someone said to you about this product, this service, this idea that you'll never forget. Those kind of questions are not front of the brain, frontal cerebral cortex type, left brain type of questions. Those are things that go into a more primitive part of the brain and they can actually wake up the the front of the brain for the more details. So I know that's a sidetrack, but that's also important. The uh, the FETI, the uh, forensic experiential traumatic interview technique. You can Google that online if you're interested in more of that. But um, let me uh, tell you, I'm going to recommend a book about interviewing. It's not from a copywriter. It's from a world class journalist who is writing major magazine pieces and interviewing top celebrities who, as you might imagine, can be tough nuts to crack sometimes. And um, I'll tell you about the book later, but this is something I want to say about the the last part of preparing for an interview research. And again, what this guy says is a little extreme for what we need, but he says, it's all part of the job. One must be prepared to be a host, to share food, to entertain with stories, and basically do anything and everything to make the subject feel comfortable, to put them at ease, so that when you turn on the tape recorder and you begin asking questions, they feel like they're talking to a friend. I'm going to repeat those last words again. 
because that's the whole key to what we're talking about today. I'll get into details as to how, but that's the whole key. When you turn on the tape recorder and begin asking questions, they feel like they're talking to a friend. It's not always easy to be such a chameleon, but it is what a good interviewer must be. And again, I'll talk about that book later because it's it's important enough to, to save it till the end. Okay, so Nathan, you're a very good interviewer, um, and you've been uncharacteristically silent. Are you just taking notes like mad? I mean, what, what, what's going on? Talk uh, to me. No, I'm, I'm loving this. And like I said, I'm just sitting over here bobbing my head up and down. Yes, because all of this is, is just so on point. One of the things that I wanted to kind of add on to what you were saying is, uh, is knowing how to, it's, it's a, it's a fine balance of knowing how to direct the conversation to the end goal that you have in mind while also leaving a wide enough path for the person you're interviewing. Because if you just go in with saying, I want to ask this question, this question, and this question, and it's just like point A, point B, point C, we're done. You never get the really deep stuff. And sometimes there's, there's, you have to actually listen and you have to, uh, you have to take the question a little bit further and do a little bit of prodding, but it's a delicate process. And, um, you said I'm I'm being quiet over here. That's actually one of the things too. Is is as a good interviewer, you need to be quiet. You need to listen. When you when I go back and I mix down these podcast episodes, if seventy to eighty percent of it isn't your voice, I'm not satisfied with with uh, the way that I conducted the interview. Okay, well that that's fair enough, and I love what you said about um, leaving it wide open while going in a direction, and I, I think that comes from a couple of things understanding what the purpose of the interview is, what ultimately you want to get out of it, what you ultimately want to do with the information. And the other thing I think is asking open-ended questions. Open-ended questions are not questions that can be answered by yes or no, but questions usually that begin with who, what, when, where, and how. And when you ask a question with the word, beginning with the word why, that can be a a real landmine because sometimes it sounds like an accusatory question, but those other five words um, allow the person to go deeper. And if you have your questions prepared in advance, or you know how to create them on the fly, uh, that can help with what you're talking about. But, you know, for someone who's listening to this, for you who are listening to this and are saying, what's the big deal about interviewing? Why is it important? I know how to use Google. I'm a Google ninja. <laughs> Here's why it's important. When you're writing copy, there's stuff you need to know that you can't find out from book or internet research alone. There are things that happened. There are things that customers say that aren't written down. There are things about what's going on in the marketplace that you can only get from a person who's out there in the marketplace. So you need to talk to people. And here's the key. People are glad to talk to you almost all the time if you can convey to them that you are truly interested in what they have to say. And that's where interviewing comes in. When you have some copy and the performance of the copy is mission critical, who are you going to call? Not Ghostbusters. They don't do copy critiques last time I checked. A lot of people from the most advanced to the up and coming copywriters reach out to me. I do copy critiques. One client, Brett Alcorn, has hired me 20 times. Yep, 20 times. 
That's because on the very first critique I did for him, he doubled his conversions on a video sales letter. Every month, I do a handful of critiques for GKIC members. These are copywriters and small business owners who are trained and experienced, but they need another set of experienced eyes to go over their copy to take it to the next level. One A-lister told me I go over copy like an IRS auditor. Now, I wasn't sure whether to take that as a compliment or not, but he assured me it was. He said, I can find the one flaw or several flaws in copy that no one else was able to and make winning suggestions on how to fix them. So when you need a copy critique, just go to garfinkelcoaching.com and click on the services tab, garfinkelcoaching.com for a critique. Thank you. And now back to the show. So I've prepared three tips on what to do. Let me give you those. The first one is <laughs> prepare, meaning find out all you can before the interview. Now, I know I just said that you can't find everything you need from internet research or reading books, and that's true, but you should try and find out as much as you need before then. Often the people that you're going to be interviewing are very busy and they prepare to the nines when they're going to do something, whether it's interview or give a speech or give a presentation or whatever else. And they're going to feel a little disrespected if you haven't done any homework yourself. It sort of comes across as you're saying without saying the words that you don't respect their time too much. So find out all you can before the interview. And you're not doing this to show off your knowledge and show them how smart you are when you're interviewing them. It's to be able to ask questions from a base of knowledge, not so as not to annoy them, not to offend them, but showing respect for their time and, you know, avoiding asking a question you could have easily found out the answer to yourself. Or if you want to ask that question, say, look, I researched this question, here's what I found, but I think there might be more. So let me ask you, at least the person knows that you've made an effort. Does that make sense? What I'm saying here? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, one of the things that I've, that I've realized too, again, going back to podcasting, because there's so much overlap in this, when you do that for a guest, when, when they come in and they know that you've read their book, or they know that you're familiar with their particular topic that they want to discuss, the experience is always so much better and they walk away from it. Like you said, it's, it's a lot less annoying for them. They feel respected and it just generally provides a better experience. So if you're interviewing, uh, if you're interviewing somebody like the potential customer that you're trying to reach the target market, or you're interviewing the person that uh, created the item that you're trying to sell, or you're interviewing somebody from the research and development department, if you go in there and, and you provide them an experience where they feel like they're talking to somebody who really gets them, they're going to enjoy the situation more. And when they're, when they're enjoying the situation more, um, you're going to get better responses from them. Yeah, that's great. And I particularly like the words you said when they're talking to someone they feel gets them. Um, that's often not the case. And if you can be the person who, for whom it is the case, man, that, that's great. All right. Well, let me go on to the next tip. And the next tip is listen. You you mentioned that before yourself, Nathan. You are you are a good listener. I strive to be a good listener. That's kind of hard sometimes because I like to talk. But <laughs> you want to 
really make an effort to understand what the person is saying. And you don't want to be in a rush. You want to respect their time. But for God's sakes, give them time to answer when you ask a question. You know, a, a lot of people ask a question and they're just waiting for the next opportunity to get a word in edgewise. Don't be that person. You know, listen to them. Give them time to answer. And so this has to do also with something you were saying. And I think you can feel a lot more comfortable with what I'm going to tell you next if you know what you ultimately want to get out of the interview rather than you think it has to follow a specific exact direction that you've planned. You want to be ready for the interview to go in a different direction than the one you had planned. Sometimes you'll get gems from tangents just to sort of rope it back in after a while to to cover all the points you want to cover. But again, be be relaxed. Don't don't let the person take over the interview. Make sure you stay on topic to some degree, but let them tell stories, you know. That's that's how I found out about my friend Bob who was in his family's kitchen, you know. Um I I was just interested and we were actually supposed to be doing something very different and we eventually got to it. But it's nice to hear people's stories. You can learn a lot from them and people love to tell them. So those are your three tips of what to do. Prepare, listen, and be ready for the interview to go in a different direction. Let's talk about what not to do. Don't do what I did. I don't mean in this interview. I mean in 1976. Avoid the urge to show how clever you are. Now, if if you're a clever person and you've gotten really far in life by being clever and saying clever things, you're going to have some teeth marks on your own tongue because, you know, <laughs> it's something you want to do. But avoid the urge to show how clever you are when you're interviewing someone. I learned this the hard way starting on the South Lawn of the White House in 1976. Remember, the person you're interviewing appreciates your intelligence, but they may resent your effort to one-up them. So be a little humble when you're interviewing somebody. The second thing is, don't be like an interrogator in a detective show on TV. The the harsh yes-no questions, or like a journalist, you know, it's like a little terrier, you know, biting at your heels. Harsh <laughs> questions, they leave people cold and defensive, and they're going to be shut down when you do that. So you want you want to do the opposite. You want to make them so comfortable that they open up. And then don't be in a rush. Respect the time limits you've agreed to, but but be as relaxed and focused as you can be. One of the great interviewing skills is to make the person you're talking to feel like they are the most important person in the world. Not you, they. Okay, I'll say that again. One of the great interviewing skills is to make the person you're talking to feel like they are the most important person in the world. So, all right, let's let's wrap this up. Um, the the first thing you want to do is prepare. You want to make this a conversation where the person you're interviewing does most of the talking. Now, you can tell a little bit about yourself. I mean, if someone says, well, you know, David, you know, what's what's your experience with um, transistor-based compressors? I'm not going to say, Millicent, this interview isn't about me. It's about you and you're, you know, I'm not, uh, no, I'll say, 
Well, Millicent, you know, I've I've tried them. I still don't really understand the difference between them and other types of compressors. But from what I've tried, I've really liked them. But why don't you tell me more about yours? You, you see the difference, right? Um, so you can do a little bit of talking about yourself to disclose who you are as a person. And that's fine. But the main thing you want to do is develop and maintain trust and, and take really good notes or better yet record with permission in advance. Then that book I was telling you about, it's called The Art of the Interview by Lawrence Grobel, G-R-O-B-E-L. And he was one of the great journalistic interviewers of our time. Now, this book gives you a lot more than you need for what you're going to be doing unless you're going to be interviewing celebrities for articles in major magazines, but you can glean all kinds of tips and techniques from one of the greats. He also taught a class on interviewing at UCLA, which was his alma mater, and he really does know how to teach through storytelling. And so I, I sent a link in the show notes, which maybe you could uh, put up on in the show notes um, that people are going to see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you mind if I if I uh, go back and touch on one point? Oh no, glad 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 for you to do so. Yeah. So when you uh, when you mentioned avoiding the urge to show how clever you are, um, this is something that I see a lot of people do, just in general. And I know that it it also works its way into interviewing for copywriting, but also for podcasting. And and it's one of the things that as an early podcaster, I had to learn to to like you said, bite your tongue. Um, because a lot of the times we want our, our listeners or our audience or whoever, we want to, to show them how awesome we are. And, um, you know, they come back each week to listen to us. And so we think that we need to um, show that we're just as smart as the guest. And, uh, that's definitely not the case. Like I said, when I do a show, I like to make sure that the guest does the majority of the talking and when it comes to when it comes to a podcast, you can ruin a podcast by trying to one up the the guest. When it comes to getting good information for writing your copy, when you're trying to um, when you're trying to find out what is really going to sell this product, what is really going to what's really on the prospect's mind, what's what's really the reason why the uh, the person who created this came up with it. If you go in there with too much of yourself, too many of your own preconceived notions. And you go in there with the attitude that I already know everything and I want to show how familiar I am with this product already. You are going to miss the, like you said, the gyms, you're going to miss that stuff because you've blocked yourself from the ability to get that. So being humble and, and saying, um, yeah, I know a little bit about this, but what I'm really here for is to get your knowledge and not to put my knowledge on display. Um, if you don't do that, you're really shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, it occurred to me along the lines of what you're talking about, Nathan, that a lot of people might even unconsciously feel when they're talking to a very rich and successful and powerful client, like this is a test to like they're a student in a classroom and and this conversation is a test to show how much the interviewer knows. But it's really not. It's a different kind of test. It's a test to show how well the interviewer can produce behavior, can get the person there 
interviewing to open up and to provide new and valuable information. And that requires a very different kind of behavior. So you don't want to come across like a drooling idiot. You don't want to be the, the forest gump of interviewing, but um, you want to do pretty much the things that you're talking about. So, yeah. All right, David, this has been a fantastic episode. Thank you so much. I think I might have to repurpose this and uh, send it out to my podcast email list as well. So um, thank you so much for for delivering this. And uh, what do we got coming up next week? Well, next week we have the seven deadly sins and how they can be helpful to copywriters. Ooh, sounds interesting. All right. We will see you next time. Copywriters, make sure that you go and check out the Copywriters Podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed on iTunes so that you never miss an episode. And uh, we'll be back in your ear holes next week. See you next week. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes so you never miss an episode.